I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Bonjour, bonjour. How are you? Good, how are you? Well, we're recording this a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> it's well, been a busy uh It's been week. a very busy week. I was on a cruise all of last week and mm-hmm. returned Sunday, yesterday. Mm-hmm. So we weren't able to record yesterday because there was just too much going on. Mm-hmm. But here we are, better late than never, as some people say. Said somebody somewhere. So I was on an Atlantis cruise, which is like a gay-themed event. Mm-hmm. And this was my fourth cruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was fun. I gained a little bit of weight <laughs> from all the food. Oh, you look fine. You look but, great. Uh, yeah. And then Halloween. So I, I left on my cruise. I left for the cruise on Halloween day. And then what did you do Halloween? I went, I went out. I, I dressed up as Kurt Cobain and uh, went to Precinct in downtown LA. And surprise, surprise, several, many people <laughs> knew exactly what I was going for. Which is rare in my usual uh, cerebral Halloween-themed costumes. Oh, I don't think you're supposed to uh, say that about yourself, but... <laughs> Well, I'm just saying that because nobody ever gets them. Like I did Scorpio Rising, Kenneth Anger one year. Um, even the year I did a Clockwork Orange, some, nobody seemed to really understand. The gays, at least, didn't really understand what I was doing. I wouldn't have known Clockwork Orange until you explained to me what Clockwork Orange was. Uh, I mean, I had put a lot of thought into that that one year. I had the cod piece and the makeup and the bowler hat. Well, you know, it doesn't matter who recognizes it. It's like... If you feel good about your costume. I I think I'd put lots of hours and dollars into that, though. And then a good friend of mine put a slapdash Audrey Hepburn breakfast at Tiffany's Beehive and had a cigarette holder. And everybody was like, oh. Yeah, but again, that's not a reason. Like, that shouldn't be the reason why you choose your costume is to get attention. It should be. Exactly. No, I I I do get that. um, It is nice when, you know. Of course, of course. You're appreciated. I didn't do anything for Halloween because I was on a boat, and the boat has themed parties, but I have yet to participate in any of those. Um, So yeah, it was uneventful. I didn't even get candy for Halloween, now that I think about it. We do have a lot of Halloween candy in the house, which I've been consuming, Mm -hmm. so that feels gross. But moving on, so a podcast i listen to called bad gay movies bitchy gay men mm-hmm. bgm which we listen to regularly yes uh they shouted us out in their most recent episode about a movie oh no i'm i feel stupid oh bite marks have you heard of that film mm. we listened to the podcast but you only caught the tail end i listened to all of it but it sounds terrible and i'm sure it's available on tubi so we should probably Check it out, but the main host, Bill Antonio, he gave us a nice little shout out. I discovered that podcast, and I've listened to every episode, and I think they have over a hundred. They do have a lot, yeah. And I've listened to all of them. Because one day, um, as I want to do, searching for gay content, um, I I think I just typed in like gay movie something into (laughs) Apple Podcasts, and theirs popped up. But it made me think how much I miss... Um, I've always been a big fan of satellite radio, like XM Sirius Radio, mm-hmm. and there used to be a gay station, and the gay station... Um, yeah, I remember Derek and Romaine. Derek and Romaine, but there was another guy... Frank. Frank DeCaro, yeah. and then sometimes he would have um, 
a queer like film critic come on. Oh yeah, yeah. And and you remember because sometimes I would be driving, mm-hmm. listening to them, and then I would call you or text you like, "Don't forget to remind me about this movie mm-hmm. that, of course, you had seen, but things that I had not paid attention to until I heard them on gay radio." Because you know, listening to people who I think have a similar sensibility talk about film piqued my interest. Right, of course, obviously. So. You know, now that there is no gay station on satellite radio, which I still use, um, I really appreciate gay content via podcast. Mm -hmm. So that's how I discovered BGM. But I was going to say that, you know, they're called uh, bitchy gay men. They call themselves bitchy gay men. But I don't think they're that bitchy because uh, particularly Bill has a pretty, I mean, I would say like he's on the level of you. Yeah, as far as like film knowledge, yeah. in addition to, he seems to have quite a bit of knowledge. And I think because he's had technical training in acting, mm-hmm. um, he and the other co-hosts often bring sort of like their technical knowledge mm-hmm. to their review, explaining why certain shots or lighting or whatever isn't the best. So I don't necessarily think their reviews are that bitchy. No, I would agree. I, I think I'm more bitchy than they. <laughs> I mean, they're just giving facts like this didn't work for this reason and this is how it could have been better. That being said, I do find it uh, entertaining and informative. Well, and they have thoughtful opinions. Yeah. And I have, I, I will say, I have watched a number of films because of their podcast episodes and those movies are bad <laughs> yeah yeah they're, i mean the 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 content is what it says it is. It, yeah it, it's true to the name but moving on there's another podcast called happy horror time which i do listen to regularly they haven't shouted us out yet but i will shout them out um the host are tim and matt mm-hmm. they're they're also homosexuals uh they're they're friends not lovers like we are, but uh, uh-huh. they and they're a gentleman of a particular age. I want to say they're both like my age or older, but uh, they uh, focus on horror, mm-hmm. and they they get a lot of really interesting interviews with like, you know, cast members from, you know, maybe not so obscure, but sometimes obscure horror films, and interview them. But um, they recently interviewed William McNamara. Mm-hmm. which uh, we both listened to together because we were certain we would get tidbits about Sigourney Weaver because the focus of the episode was his performance in the 1980... Uh, 80? 1995. 1990 film Copycat. That movie is 1995? Yeah. Oh, I thought Copycat was like 1987. No, the, the problem was it came out just a few months after the movie Seven, which everybody thought was superior, which I disagree with if... You're counting Brad Pitt's performance. Um, I do enjoy Copycat a lot, but I swore it was the 80s. No, girl. Wow. Anyway, um, I wanted to call that out because I do think it's worth a listen because William McNamara is an interesting gentleman. He, who I would like... To, I, I'm getting the sense that maybe he is a homosexual. He could be. I mean, all of his confidants and mentors that he brings gay. up, including... Um, oh, God. What's his name? Some person, yeah. No, not some... God, I'm... No, I, I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember the name. But he, um, he's a loquacious gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an interesting interview. And then some tidbits he gave about Sigourney Weaver were funny. <laughs> yes, he... T- okay, so, I, you know, I did learn some things about that. Namely that uh, there was a 21-day reshoot on the film. Yes, that was very interesting. But it sounds like he was bitter about it because the test audiences gave him a low score... 
and the director John Emile took a, a apparently a big gamble. Yes. Casting him against type, uh, but he he said he was trying to be catty, saying Sigourney got low ratings as well, and it's like well. But all, he, all of his scenes are with but, her. But he confided in a friend, an, a gay gentleman, who said, oh, I know someone who can be your acting coach. So he tells this long drawn... Oh, every, it's, Ro- it's Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell. And William McNamara cannot just tell a straightforward story. Um, but he, he, he finally gets to the point, which is that Ro- Roddy McDowell... This like friend who's going to coach William McNamara... Tony. Is, well, he keeps calling him Tony... And this motherfucker's talking about Sir Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he says Sir Anthony Hopkins coached him on his reshoots for his character in Copycat, mm-hmm. which was fascinating. He also said the scene in the bathroom in the end when Sigourney's hanging from the ceiling, um, her spitting on his character was not in the script. No, they brought it up, the interviewers, and he said that was uncalled for. And somebody goes, oh, it wasn't in the script? Well, yeah, I guess that technically is uncalled for because the script didn't call for it, but it did enhance the scene. And then he says Sigourney's breath smelled like coffee. (laughs) He sounds mad about her because he also said she was cold, unlike Holly Hunter. Who's very warm. (laughs) You know, you probably weren't very fun to work with, sir, I'm guessing. Uh, Although he does seem like the type of personality who I would probably get along well with. Not in that I would enjoy him, but I feel like in a room full of people who... I tend to be the person who can manage people like him the best because I like story time. And you don't mind self-absorbed people. And I don't mind self-absorbed people. I don't, I don't like it, but I feel like I can manage it better. So I, I do think William McNamara seems like a nice guy to be around. It was interesting to note that he almost had the Calvin Klein campaign that would make Marky Mark. Yes. And he actually, his, he, he gave two answers, like the sort of the fake answer he gives on why he didn't take the job. But then the real answer was that Calvin Klein cast him based on how he looked in the film Opera. No, Chasers. I'm sorry, Chasers. But then when it was time to shoot the ad, he had gone out of shape. Mm-hmm. Like he went back to eating like shit and not working out. So he couldn't do the ad. But yeah, it was a very interesting interview. I I, uh, I think Tim and Matt did a good job. Well, uh, I think it's Tim uh, specifically did a good job of like going with the flow because yeah. uh, William was not, uh, you know, he he was not going to be put on a leash. He was going to say what he needed to say. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting. But, but anyway, we're spending a lot of time. But with you that. know, like I I think that powerful women that are in charge, I often notice some of her male co-stars will make snarky comments like that. Like I think Ray Liotta did too. And from heartbreak. She probably is. Well, you know what it probably is? She's probably very professional. Mm-hmm. And she's just there to do her damn job and collect her check and keep it pushing. And, you know, especially in the 80s and 90s, was also a very beautiful younger woman who's tall. So they probably were intimidated by her. And then she probably doesn't try to make men feel comfortable around her. No, and I think she, she'd learned that she couldn't afford to do that. She, you know, in the early 80s, she would... Walk into audi- She walked into an audition for Scarface and Al Pacino wouldn't stand up and said no. So, yeah, I mean, you know, she doesn't need to make other people feel comfortable in her presence. Like, but uh, anyway, I, for anyone who uh, likes behind the BTS type shit for movies, I think this interview in particular was interesting. That's what made me think he's not gay because if he were, he would know better than to talk about her that way. You're, you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. He's probably not gay. But anyway, moving on. So Drag Race UK Series 3, Episode 7. 
This was the uh, Miss Fugly beauty pageant. That was the main challenge. Mm -hmm. So this was something we've never seen before where the queens were challenged to come up with three looks, but they were done in like real time. Well, as real as RuPaul can manage. Well, right, yeah. Because RuPaul enters the workroom out of drag saying like, okay, you have 69 minutes to get ready. And then we see them get on stage with RuPaul in drag. But we know it takes RuPaul like hours to get into drag. So there was obviously some sort of editing and delay, but... They have to come up with three looks, and each look they get less time. So the first look they they got 69 minutes, the second look they got 60 minutes, and the third look they got 30 minutes to prepare. So it's very much like nailed it for drag. Kind of, and I actually didn't mind it. It was kind of fun watching them. Scramble. You know, it's obviously very produced, and they do this whole thing where it's like, you're down to 15 seconds and you don't even have a dress on. Like, clearly that's not how this went. Right. But, you know, it kind of, it, it, it was fun. Um... I don't even recall who was in the bottom. Uh, Scarlet and... Uh, Scarlet Harlot and Vanity Milan. Mm -hmm. One of the judges was Alicia Dixon, who I wasn't familiar with, but apparently she was in the band Mystique. And we should know Mystique from their song Scandalous. Which On was, Catwoman. Which was a pretty big hit, and it was also featured in the Catwoman soundtrack. But uh, those two lip sync, and, you know, I have to say, Vanity Milan is probably the best performer of all UK drag race series. Pretty, pretty damn good lip sync, yeah. She and also her drag is raggedy, but that face is perfection. Yeah. She that her face I I would say is probably one of the prettiest. Yeah. She has one of the prettiest faces. Her skin tone, her like her nose, her smile, her lip just perfect. I mean, she's no Raja O'Hara, but well, you, Compared to, I'm saying for like for lip syncs that have wowed me. Oh no 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 no! I agree with you. I'm saying she for UK, she's the best oh, sure, we've sure. seen, and I think she's one of the most beautiful drag queens. Like she's her, like her face. No, I would agree. She's also grown on me. And then her makeup's gotten better over you know the seven episodes. So I, she has grown on me as well. But um, the winner is who was the winner? Kit oh, Kitty Kit Scott Claus finally got. Or win. That almost seemed like when we gave um, an Oscar to Paul Newman for The Color of Money. Like, yeah, like we gotta I, give it to her. Like, like, we gotta give her something. I kind of, I don't know. I thought Crystal did. I thought Crystal did better. Yeah. Better. Um, because she changed her makeup. Mm -hmm. And her middle look, which I forget what the category was. It was like Fugly Thrift Shop. It was or, Thrift Shop. Yeah. That bitch looked like a, like... I mean, she looked fly as hell, mm -hmm. but they were saying that it wasn't, and it wasn't fugly. So yeah. I think that's where the misstep was. But also, like, she looked fabulous off of the like the the shit you provided her. So, and I also thought I liked Ella Day as well. Yeah, she's grown on me a lot too. But um, yeah, that's UK Drag Race. And Scarlet Harlot goes home. Oh yeah, Scarlet Harlot goes home, which I was fine with. I'm fine with. So Canada's Drag Race season two episode four was the Snatch Game. Did we recognize everyone on the panel? Uh, Sofia Vergara. Uh -huh. So so the characters that were on Snatch Game were Sofia Vergara, which the captioning for us via Wild Presents Plus kept calling her Sofa Vergara. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was about. So we had Sofa Vergara. Bernie Sanders, Jim Carrey, La Venino, who I know from that Netflix series, mm -hmm. uh, Chris Jenner, Leslie Jones, Grimes, Yoko Ono, and Rachel Zoe. And then Rachel Zoe obviously uh, 
had an attachment to Brad Goreski because he used to be her assistant when she had her show on E, I believe, or Bravo. But anyway, um, so that's good. I recognize all of the people. Um, unfortunately, uh, Suki Doll and Eve 6000 were in the bottom. Suki Doll was Yoko Ono and Eve 6000 was Bernie Sanders. And I have to say, I didn't agree with either of those. Being in the bottom, no. I thought, as much as I don't like Eve 6000... I think she's fake and annoying. Yeah. Her Bernie Sanders, I thought, was actually really fun. I thought she, I, th- I was kind of gooped that I she was I was shocked that she Because was I thought it should have been Sofia Vergara. And um, Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones, I didn't think was good. That Leslie Jones. So the problem with Leslie Jones is um, Kimora Amor did her, but dressed as Leslie Jones from Coming to America 2. Or Coming to America. And I thought that's such an obscure reference because most people know Leslie Jones from SNL. I don't even remember her wearing an outfit like that. And yeah, she does. Remember at when, the end? Yeah, because remember she approaches the wife and mm. acts like... Yeah, but that's at the very end. I know. It's such an obscure thing because everyone knows her from SNL and Supermarket Sweep. Or Ghostbusters. Where she, where she has that like sort of flat top with the relaxed mm-hmm. like Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog hair. So I don't know why you would do an image of Leslie Jones that is like... It, it it just made no sense to me. And then she wasn't funny or loud. No, and I thought Chris Jenner was dull. I thought Chris Jenner was dull, but not the worst. And then Yoko Ono, I thought, well, Sofia Vergara was garbage. Yeah. Sofa was garbage. Yeah. Because Adriana is Colombian, like Sofia. She got And Sophie. I feel like the accent was off. She wasn't The makeup was bad. The makeup was really bad she almost looked like she was doing like old lady makeup or dead Sophia or, or like dead yeah dead Sofia Vergara and then she she was confusing being like sexy with being sort of like uh, raunchy and vulgar. vulgar so that was actually hard to watch Geometric did Jim Carrey but once again not doing Jim Carrey but a, the, a character Jim Carrey played like Ace he was doing, he Ace, was doing Ventura. Ace Ventura and that was awkward that was extremely uncomfortable um geometric makes me uncomfortable yeah lavanino was uh, isis couture and she was having a hard time with the accent i thought that was weird pythia did grimes i thought that was excellent <laughs> pythia was really good because she was pretending to be like a weird robot that Which was great grimes kind of does uh cynthia kiss was rachel zoe and i have to say because i used to watch the zoe project or whatever it was called um she was I mean, she did a damn good That was impression. pretty fantastic. And then yeah. she was playing off with, like, Brad Goreski. Mm-hmm. And so that was amazing. She won again. Um, the, okay, so Suki Doll, who was... Oh, yeah, so Suki Doll... One of my favorites, so I was really sad to see her go. Well, A, Suki Doll's fashions have been on point every yes. episode. Yes. And I thought her interpretation of Yoko Ono, while I, I think, using your word, I, I thought it was a little too cerebral, maybe, because I thought she captured sort of the performance artist sort of air of Yoko Ono but that's not really funny it's not funny but that's what Yoko Ono does and that's funny in itself so yes so so I thought it's a little too cerebral because I thought it was funny because that's my impression of Yoko Ono like she Mm -hmm. thinks she's like this artist like this abstract artist and it's like bitch what the fuck are you talking about but this is why these judges ain't shit on Canada's drag race because I think if that was RuPaul RuPaul would have known how to play off of that I agree I think had Suki Doll done this with RuPaul it would have played much better yes Because I I thought that was pretty on point. But yeah. uh, 
Anyway, what do I know? Moving on. Oh, and another problem I had with uh, this episode of Canada was the runway was supposed to be. Oh yes, the um, runway was like a queen that came before that inspired you. No, it was the the runway theme was made in Canada, so they were supposed to do like wear an outfit that is inspired by Canada, but like five of them did a character played by somebody else. So, as an example. Like uh, Catherine O'Hara as Moira Rose. Which was a fun idea from Pythia. Again, that's not... But several of them did that, including uh, Josephine Baker as... Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, what's her name? Kamora Amor did Deborah Cox as Josephine Baker. That made no sense to me. It just... But the, and there was another one, too. There was another one. But I just... I Oh, someone who I don't recognize, but... Uh, Adriana did someone who also... Oh, the singer. Uh, she, yeah, she did some singer dressed up as her as a character. But yeah, I don't understand why all of these people want to do these references that, like, we've seen before. They they don't work because someone has already made that character great and funny. That's why you're copying them. So you're certainly not going to do a better job than them. Even Bob, I don't think... Like, I, I think Bob... The drag queen did a good job of Uzo of doing crazy eyes, but I think because he's funny, and then halfway through switched to being Carol Channing. Carol Channing, that's what really sent it over. But yeah, I would I would think after all these snatch games, people would realize or runways like no one wants to see you do a half rate version of a character we all know and love. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And then the, just the the judges' deliberation on all those was Ugh. oh, uh, including Eve Six Thousand, who was Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix. That's right. Yes, that's right. Um, okay, moving on because we have a lot to get through. Oh, oh and time oh. is of the essence. Oh yes. Okay, films uh, that were released but not covered, starting with Finch. Finch, uh, which was released on Apple TV, starring oh with Tom Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yes, I watched that while you were gone. But how it, was it? It was okay. Oh, it used, he's like the last man on earth, or something. Yeah, and he's got a, a dog and a, a robot. It's an, uh, a piece of artificial intelligence that he, because Earth has been hit by some radioactive blah blah blah, and he's dying. So he he assembles this AI, ostensibly just to take care of the dog. Uh, okay. named Goodyear and the robot who he's actually quite hard on especially for Tom Hanks uh, Jeff is voiced by Caleb Landry Jones and there, there are some fun things to be had in there but again you, you've you've seen this before including Tom Hanks in a similar last man on earth mode or all by himself mode um, so I'm not going to say you missed anything but it was it's okay uh, Eternals God Eternals what uh, you watched it? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the first press screening was on your birthday, so we didn't go. And then there was one last Tuesday. Um, what did you think? So I drove all the way to Burbank uh, oh, to see great. it. Uh, That's probably where you fucked up your rims. My rims are not fucked up. They are fucked up. Don't you Don't you put me on blast. You're not a good driver. <laughs> you're not a careful driver. Yeah, there's a difference between careful and good. Well, you're not either, I guess. But <laughs> uh, I am a just fine driver. Um, I get where I need to go. I don't think that's the measure of a good driver is getting where you need to go. Okay, stop making me sound like Rain Man. I'm a good driver. Um, you're not going to say you're a good driver, though. You're not going to lie on these people's internet. Like, Just because you aren't comfortable with me driving does not mean I'm... A, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop defending myself. 
Uh, Eternals. How was it? It's not good. Oh, uh, but <laughs> like you're driving. <laughs> Would you say it's better or worse than you're driving? Oh, worse. Oh, oh that's whoa. You need to stop that. That's a Razzie. <sighs> My driving is not worthy of a Razzie. Maybe a Golden Globe. For anyone, <laughs> for anyone who's ridden with Nick, I would love to know what they think about Nick's driving. <laughs> I think if you have a similar personality to me, you understand it perfectly. You drive like someone's chasing you. I drive like I have somewhere to be. <laughs> like I have somewhere to go, and my time on this earth is precious. Well, you're going to die soon the way you drive. <laughs> um, Eternal. So, you know, of course, uh, has... Have you been reading about the backlash? I just know there's a gay kiss or something. Well, there's a gay couple. There's yeah, Ron right, Tyree Henry right. and Haas Sleeman. Yeah. Um, and I think it's safe to say, because it was published in the trades, Haas is attached to star in a film that I wrote, uh, which is why I didn't review it, uh, because I feel like that's a conflict of interest. Uh, but there are things I liked about it. It was directed by... Oh, Chloe so if I would have seen it, I could have reviewed it. Yeah, well, too oh, bad no. you weren't on vacation. Uh, Too bad I was on a well-deserved vacation. Yes, you were. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, Chloe Zhao directed it. Uh, third film. Loved her first two films, including The Rider and uh, last year's Nomadland, which won Best Picture. Uh, again, I don't think that Frances McDormand deserved a third Oscar, especially over somebody like Viola Davis, uh, for Nomadland. But Nomadland was a good film. Uh, appreciative of... And you can see how Chloe Zhao has brought her the eye of the tour to the Marvel franchise. But, you know, you can dress up this shit no matter which way you'd like. It's just not good. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what people were expecting. It's overpacked with, it's overstuffed with characters, but no better or worse than the Avengers films, in my humble opinion. Again, you know, this universe, this realm is not my favorite because it's ostensibly, supposedly, you know, cinema that's made for everyone, which means that it's really for no one, in my mind. I do want to mention, because on the cruise this past week, I watched a lot of movies on repeat, and one of them was Spider-Man Homecoming, and I forgot how much I liked that movie. Tom okay. Holland, that's his name? You like Tom Holland. He's so cute. Okay. But not like, he's, I mean, he is a cute little guy, but I mean, like, that character, like, that Spider-Man is cute. Certainly, compared to Tobey Maguire, who yeah. I find wholly unlikable and amphibious. And but the scene with him and Donald Glover, where he's trying to talk, like, deep like a man. Yes. And then Donald Glover's telling him, you're a woman. And I'm I, not a woman, I'm a man. And I like Donald Glover. <laughs> and um, I appreciate the interracial romance that they put in there. And Zendaya's funny. Isn't it Zendaya? Oh, shit. You got clocked for saying that wrong. Well... Saying that. Her name. Um, my, my apologies. Uh, but yes, I, there were things I liked about it. I think it looks pretty good. Uh, I do appreciate the, uh, you know, just casual gay family that means a lot. And also, I didn't realize Haas Sleeman, who it does have, he's only in two scenes. It's the first Middle Eastern character in a, in a Marvel movie, which oh, I find wow. kind of mind-boggling. Uh, there were, you know, there's things that are way over the top and crazy. Angelina Jolie who looks good as a platinum blonde, the acting is like, whoa. I don't know. I saw that trailer, and I didn't think that blonde was right. But, I mean, if, if you're saying it was, I guess. She, you know, she looks like in, a, in Athena. Like, put her in Clash of the Titans, and th that'd be fine with me. Uh, I, did, I do like how they make her uh, kind of mental health illness reflected in these kind of uh, flashes in her face. But it, it's, it's not good, but at the same time... I don't know how you can really champion any of these films, per se. I don't know. Ragnarok and... Ragnarok's fun. Black Panther is worthy. Maybe the first Wonder Woman. Yeah. But, I mean, that's DC. 
I don't know. I just don't really care. I don't really care. Well, you have a lot on this list, so let's keep moving. The next one is called Hive. Hive uh, is a film from Kosovo that won three films at the Sundance Film Festival this year, or three awards, uh, including the top prize in the World Dramatic Category, directed by Blerta Basholi. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of film uh, coming out of Kosovo that we get to see, although there's something else I did see recently. It was, it, we didn't review it, I didn't rewatch it to review, I saw it at Sundance, uh, or the virtual edition. I did really like it. Uh, it's frustrating, of course. It's a, a woman trying to make it on her own in Kosovo, which all the men make impossible. She just wants to make some goddamn honey. Would you let her? Uh, but obviously worth a watch. Uh, finally, Spencer. Yes, which I saw at Venice. Uh, which I feel like we've talked about already. Yeah, because I probably brought it up then. But it opened this past weekend, okay. and you we didn't cover it. Uh, but it, I'd say... It's not a perfect movie, but directed by Pablo Lorraine. I liked it better than Jackie. Uh, and I think, despite, you know, some concern with the accent, maybe, uh, I thought Kristen Stewart was quite lovely as Diana. Great. All right, moving on to films you watched for fun. Bad Influence? Yeah, uh, directed by Curtis Hansen, starring James Spader and Rob Lowe, uh, who have a dysfunctional L.A. bro uh, romance, kind of, Uh which Curtis Hansen directed right before The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. There's not a lot that's really remarkable about it, but I like both, seeing both of them, and it's a fun early 90s L.A. movie. Okay. I watched a film on the boat like three times called Love and Monsters. Which I have not seen. Which is a 2020 film directed by Michael Matthews. That's 2020? Yeah, I don't know who Michael Matthews is. Do you? Uh, no. Oh. Not at the top of my head. Um... Oh, it looks like he directed something called Five Fingers for Marseille or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, um, this was an interesting film with a cute story. Uh, oh, with it, Dylan O'Brien. Yeah, I would give it like three out of five. Okay. Like, it was sweet. Sure. It was an interesting take on something very familiar. Uh, moving on, On Dangerous Ground. Yes, that was what I watched on Halloween before going out. Uh, Nicholas Ray classic I've never watched, uh, starring Robert Ryan and Ida Lupino. And you know I like Ida Lupino, although she's a blind woman that shows up like nearly halfway when the movie's over. Mm. Um, but I like Robert Ryan a lot. You see shades of In a Lonely Place uh, quite a bit in this very brief film, 82 Minutes, uh, basically about a, a cop that has to learn how to be human again and it's about salvation and redemption and these two kind of finding one another and it takes this blind woman to see him uh but i liked it hmm. i also watched more than once on the boat um anchorman the legend of ron burgundy oh. <laughs> oh. that 2004 film who's adam mckay do you know who that the is the director yeah but like what has he done like the big short he's done all kinds of stuff oh, okay. like a lot of those films with uh will ferrell Oh, did he do Talladega Nights? I do like that movie. Uh, this movie I thought was kind of grating. Will or Anchorman? Yeah, yeah. I've always thought that, but and so is the sequel. And strangely, I think the best part of Anchorman is Will Ferrell. I think the supporting characters are annoying. Even Christina Applegate. I thought she was. She's been funnier in other things. Sure. I don't think she was funny in this film really at all. She's kind of the straight man though. Kind of, yeah, and I just. I mean, all of, his, all of his films are over the top, but for some reason, this one just didn't. And, you know, I think because I'm stuck in this, you know, boat room watching movies, it's like, well, I, like, what else am I going to do? So, I think maybe I'm just bitter towards it, but I didn't 
That enjoy. sounds slightly torturous. Should I add, though, that when I went on the same cruise with you, I brought a laptop that played DVDs just so I could avoid that feeling. Mm. Next is Kinjiti Forbidden Subjects. Was that how you say it? No. Kin- I think it's Kinjite. Oh, Kinjite. <laughs> Kinjiti. I think I went to school with Kinjite. Kinjite, Forbidden Subjects. It's a Japanese word, which means forbidden subjects. Um, mm. It's a Charles Bronson film. I've Kinjiti. Owned. Kinjiri is a I think Kinjiri. Gin Kitty. Gin Kitty. Gin Kitty uh, is a, a drink we should make up. Uh, again, actually kind of has interesting parallels to Robert Ryan in the On Dangerous Ground film, but this movie is que terrible. Uh, it is the last film of J. Lee Thompson, who is a director I quite like, uh, especially uh, Return from the Ashes, which uh, Christian Petzold kind of remade as Phoenix in 2014. But... Uh, this is his 10th and final collaboration with Charles Bronson, playing a oh. racist L.A. cop uh, who's dealing with the sex trafficking ring. It is, oh my God, so completely terribly written and produced by uh, Golan and Globus, who were kind of were notorious for kind of cheap productions. It is a film that's trying to uh, navigate racist white cops, but... It just is a film that feels really racist. Uh, but you, I, I thought I posted it on my Instagram, but there was a, a line where Charles Bronson's daughter gets felt up in this, like on a bus, and she's like, an oriental guy just touched my holy of holies. Oh, it, is, it is laughably... It's almost worth watching again uh, with people, because it's... I, it, I found it hard to sit through by myself. Well, we're running out of time, and there's still oh, a lot left. Okay. okay uh, next is An Angel for Satan. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Severin Films put out this old um, 1960s uh, Barbara Steele film. And if you're a Barbara Steele fan, it's worth a watch. Otherwise, it was not, it's nicely shot in black and white, but it was not very good. Next is The Swarm. Uh, I was meaning to watch this. a French production uh, about uh, a woman who's got a locust farm because she turns them into flour to, for sale and the locusts end up becoming vampiric mm. basically has some interesting concepts but otherwise uh, I thought it was pretty basic Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom I also watched this on the boat no you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark oh I watch Raiders I, I actually never... had that on you know what I can't tell the difference to be honest with you oh <laughs> girl there's a huge difference I think if I could watch the, the only way I think I will enjoy these films now is if like these Indiana Jones films is if I saw them in a theater like I think it needs to be that experience but just watching them in a room Raiders of the Lost Ark is so good anyway Um, sorry The Temple of Doom Temple of Doom was my favorite as a kid but I haven't watched it in years I actually did sit down and rewatch it and there's so much that seems uh, like ooh that that dinner scene that terrified me as a kid seems so with the monkey brains yeah it seems so problematic like all these Indians are eating this (laughs) It just seems, it's so over the top that it's like, this is offensive. Uh, but the opening with Kate Capshaw singing Anything Goes in Mandarin is still, like, every time I've seen it, I think of watching it as a kid on VHS in my grandma's living room and just kind of the magical sensation of that spectacle. Mm. Um, oh, God, and Short Round. And there, there's so much I still really love about it. But Raiders of the Lost Ark, of the Lost Ark is definitely a better film. Uh, and, you know, Temple of Doom is the reason that we have the PG-13 rating. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, next is Where Sleeping Dogs Lie. Oh, God, this was terrible. Uh, second of three films directed by a producer named Charles Finch uh, with Dylan McDermott and Tom Sizemore. I would bet money that the original draft of this film had homoerotic undertones that were cut. It is so terrible as Dylan McDermott as this writer who's writing a Dylan film. McDermott or Dermot oh sorry Dermot, Dermot, Dermot Mulroney wait no no it's Dylan McDermott don't confuse me um, I'm confused it's Mr. McDermott whose performance is also and I kept it's so bad though I kept watching all the close-ups of Tom Sizemore being like was he fucked up are his pupils too big in this scene because every you know he's a big cokehead and then I I found myself allegedly comparing no he's admitted it oh. uh, pupils sizes but if you like a campy Sharon Stone I give you where sleeping dogs lie. All right. That's that scene where she's, let me tell you something, okay? You're a failure. And then she, she has another scene where she's. Oh, you posted that on Instagram. Yeah, she, where she's trying on clothes in, ex, in expensive boutiques and she tells the associate, does this, does this look like $1,200? And the girl goes, oh yeah, and she throws it on the floor. I'll take it. It's so bad. Okay, next, To Sir With Love. Uh, on Drag Race recently, Lulu was one of the judges in the, the UK version. Mm-hmm. And I re- and Roop references her singing the theme song, and she had a supporting part in that. I've never seen it. Uh, so I watched To Sir With Love over this week, which is okay. But that was 1967. Sidney Poitier had a really good year that year, if you think about it, because that's the year of In the Heat of the Night, and... A film that I find very hard to get through, but guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, and then To Sir With Love, which was written by, was directed by James Clavell, the writer of Shogun. Oh. Which is crazy. To, I, I know him as this writer of these epic novels, but he directed, of all things, To Sir With Love, which there was a TV sequel of in 1996 or something. Lastly, Higher Learning, which I know is a John Singleton film. I have never seen this. I don't know why. I think we were waiting for an opportunity, but I watched it while you were gone. And uh, I have to say I'm really impressed and can't understand why this film isn't better liked. But it feels very much ahead of its time. It's 1995. It's before Columbine. The amount of kind of intersecting themes and the and parallel themes going on uh, from John Singleton in this film is Really impressive. Stars Tyra Banks. Tyra Banks, yes. And uh, Omar Epps. Omar Epps. Uh, and I, and I, I, I recall there's a shooting. Yes, it, it all ends in that. And I was reading about what pe- people thought he le- leaned into the melodrama and blah, blah, blah. Uh, because Michael Rappaport plays this uh, character that becomes indoctrinated by skinheads. and. But how it's laid out, while it is arguably melodramatic, it, it's kind of... Uh, uncomfortable uh, in retrospect because I, I think people were not aware that especially like a lot of white critics I think were kind of just in their own little bubble and thinking that this world didn't exist and maybe that's why um, I find Christy Swanson kind of uh, not very good in it but Jennifer Connelly she has a nice little lesbian romance with her uh, and I thought Tyra Banks uh, was actually just fine. Like, I wasn't distracted by her. I think Omar Epps gives a really good performance. I think Larry Fishburne as the professor who's using a dubious accent. I also really liked his presence. Um, What's his name? Cole Hauser is doing kind of a bad Marlon Brando impression as a skinhead. But it is... uh, There are scenes in it that I thought were touching and also really hard to watch. Uh, And I think 
if this had come out maybe a decade later than it did, uh, John Singleton wouldn't have been so dismissed. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to projects of interest, uh, Ballerina. Oh, yeah, and the uh, American film market was just happening, and they announced a project that's a John Wick spinoff called Ballerina starring Anna de Armas, which to me sounds good. Gal Gadot is going to play the evil queen in a Snow White movie? I believe it's Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Uh, yes, she is. That was, which could be good. So wasn't Charlize Theron playing an evil person in the Snow White movies? Yeah, but those were not really Snow White. Snow White and the Huntsman, those movies. Oh, okay, I don't know. I mean, that was kind of a different rendition of the same old shit, but... And then Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Latte are going to be in a fil- film adaptation of Wicked. Ariana... Grande, mm-hmm. Venti, Latte. I, I wrote that to you in my notes, to be funny. But, yeah. uh, yes, I which Arivo I think, will be interesting. Grande, I guess we'll see. I don't care. And The Inkle? Yeah, uh, Taika Waititi, your buddy who directed Thor Ragnarok. Uh, God, I... As a personality, I don't care for him. <laughs> really? What was... I thought in Free Guy he was kind of funny. He... I, I feel like he's... He seems kind of like pompous. He does. You know, I I reviewed The Electrical Life of uh, Lewis Wayne, which we didn't cover, and I totally forgot until after I sent my review in that he's in that movie. I didn't even reference him. Uh, but he is uh, has optioned uh, to adapt Alejandro Jodorowsky's uh, comic novel The Inkle, which is exciting to me. Well, um, okay, so moving on, the obituary section, do you have anything? No. Oh, I was going to talk about the Astroworld incident. Uh, oh, okay. Are, I, are you familiar? I have only been reading headlines. I have not read... So Travis Scott, who's a rapper and mm-hmm. the partner of Kylie Jenner, I think her, both of her children, or is she pregnant? I don't know this bitch's life. I know she has one kid, and I think she has a second, or she's pregnant with a second. I couldn't even have told you that they were somehow related. And they, both of her children are from him. He has this Astroworld Festival, which is in Houston. And over the weekend, there was an incident where there was like a, people were trampled. I read eight people died. Many people were injured. Eight people died. Um, And I was just reading a lot of the sort of like accounts of it. And, you know, anytime people, the, the idea that a person, you know, paid money with the, with the intention of going somewhere and being entertained and having fun, probably with friends, and then ending up being killed is obviously very tragic, right? Yeah. Because that could be any of us. You know, you go out all the time and it's like, well, you know, it's like you go out thinking you're going to do one thing and then you get shot or run over and it's just like, you know, it, I mean, it is a tragedy when it's so unexpected. Sure. And nonsensical and I think that's what I'm thinking about this incident like reading all of these accounts from people who were there you know hearing these like early 20 somethings many of them are you know caucasoids talking about how it was like a war field and like and it's just like and and I'm sure in the moment it felt terrifying but as an old man who doesn't like to leave the house for this reason like I think people don't do risk assessment. Like a lot of shit that everyone does is like, okay, so you want to drive all late having had some drinks. Everyone else is fucking drunk driving. It's like your propensity or the likelihood that you will be hurt is much higher. Going to some big ass music festival with 50,000 people out in some field with no sort of crowd control. 
To me, that is a hard, firm, immediate no. Immediately no. So I don't understand. Like, I'm not saying anyone deserved anything. I just think like when people make fun of me for not wanting to do certain things, it's like this This is what's in the back of my head. Like this shit doesn't seem safe. Like who's controlling the crowd? Who's watching this? You know, oftentimes I don't like going places because I just don't feel comfortable. And a festival like this or like people going to Coachella or... I mean, even thinking about Woodstock back then, it's like, so y'all are in some dirty-ass wet field in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, what if something happens? And so I'm not trying to shit on, you know, the tragedy. It it just, to me, is a warning of, like, we really need to think about our safety first and really think, like, if something doesn't seem comfortable or secure, then you need to make a choice. And the choice should be, like, I'm not going to put myself at that high a risk. There are other things that are risky that we do all the time and whatever. And it's to each their own on how they assess that. But when it comes to these, like, fucking festivals out in these fields, it no. Under no circumstances. Mm-hmm. I don't care if Janet's performing at Coachella. I'm not going. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll catch it on the YouTubes. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And then I was watching video of, like, some of the attendees were trying to get the attention of staff. Like, there are people down here dead. Like, you need to stop the show. And they were like, you know, buzz off. What are you talking about? It's just like, I think there are some people, like, there are certain people like you who I think just don't care because you're going to do what you want to do. Then there are people who are under this presumption that, like, if it's allowed, it must be safe. Sure. Like, like if I'm allowed to go scuba diving with sharks, then it must be safe, sure. right? And then there are people like me who are just scared of everything. And I think there, I, I think what makes sense is probably not in the middle. It's probably more like you need to have some sense of fear because I think that I, not that I think it's good that things like that this happen. I think that we should be reminded of you know being aware of your surroundings or that proper safety measures are taken. Or when you cannot control a situation, like 50,000 people just loose in a field, like trying to be as close as they can to a stage, there is no way to control that. There's absolutely no way. If you've ever watched National Geographic and you see the fucking moose or the whatever, the elk or the, uh, the, the bison running, like there's no way to control that. And if, if if you're not thinking about that when you're in it, it's like, to me, there's something like your survival instinct is not clicked in your brain. Like, you cannot, you have no control over 50,000 people who want to move in one direction, and you don't. And then if you fall down, you think that they're going to stop for you? No. No. Again, I think to each his own, though, and what yes. they're comfortable with, because... It, if you you can spiral out of control in that logic as well and not do anything. You're right. And and I'm more like that. Like I'm more like agoraphobic kind of in that like sense. We're but. on a rooftop watching a movie and what if everybody wants to leave at once? It's like you you know Yeah, but I think it's just like it's just taking an assessment of my surroundings and and, and predicting potential things. And yes, I probably get ahead of myself and that uh, paralyzes me. But I think there are certain scenarios where it's just like, 
Because, you know... Like, you, 47 meters down, like, taking this old rickety boat with this shark cage, and then, like, someone like me would not do that. Sure, you reference but, that, but you were just on a big gay cruise, and what if, you know, what what if you hit a, an iceberg? Yeah, but I did my research on my first cruise, uh-huh. and the likelihood that that would happen, and the sonar, and the technology... Yeah, 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 yeah. but and, I'm, I'm saying, like... No, but I did do research, like, even if we did hit an iceberg, the way the the... The, the the ship is designed so that if there was a major compromise in like the hull or whatever, water fills up in pockets. So the amount of time it would take for the ship to sink is more than enough time to get on a lifeboat. And there are enough lifeboats for everyone. So, But I'm saying you can't account for every situation because of, you know... The people, you cannot, but the, you can make a decision. And my decision to go on a cruise is like, well, I did my research and I understand that the likelihood that I would like drown in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean is very Sure, slim. but it's not just that. It's like the people... But know, driving I mean? on New Year's Eve, I won't do. Sure, Because sure. it's like the, the, con- the concentration of drunk drivers at the hour I would be leaving the bar even though I'm sober, is enough that the likelihood that I could get into an accident that is not my fault is significantly higher than normal. So that's what I'm referencing. Sure, sure, sure. But, I, you know, I'm just saying that it's like the people that got stuck because of COVID on that boat or... Right, anything, one of the cruises you were, anything can happen. One of the cruises you were on, somebody killed themselves and that got everybody hemmed up for a minute. Someone like, did, yes. But, so you're right. I, you can't account for everything and you can't be afraid of everything, but I think there's certain things like, you know... Like people who like to like drag race on public roads and well, do yeah. crazy, or or like you see all these kids on motorcycles like doing like fancy flips and shit like on the freeway, yeah, doing no, like no. seventy miles that's an hour. That's like asking for death. Uh-huh. That's what I'm referring to, and I think something like one of these music festivals where there's no possible way to crowd control, sure. and then everyone's always like, as soon as their fave comes on stage, they rush it. Mm-hmm. Like you have to think you, there is no. You have no control. There, there, there's no way to get out of that situation. But anyway, we only have ten minutes left, and Jesus. we didn't get to our movie. So oh. I don't know how I selected this movie. Originally, I wanted to choose a William McNamara film because of the podcast we heard him on. Mm-hmm. But then my interest in watching it was either going to be opera, which you own, or which is a Dario Argento film. Yeah, which is worth a watch. Or Rabbit Hunt. Rabbit Hunter or from 2016 or something. William McNamara is in a newer film, some like straight to DVD sounding horror film, mm-hmm. and he said like that per- his performance in that film is his greatest performance ever, even though it's not a good movie. His words, but they cut all of his scenes, but they added them to the end credits. So I was tempted to watch it because it is available online, but it sounds like the entire film is crap and the only enjoyable part would be the end credits. So while I was searching for these movies, Predator 2 came up. So we, Joseph selected for the secret film. Predator 2, the 1990 film starring Danny Glover, Mm -hmm. which is a sequel to the... 1987 John McTiernan film. And who directed Predator 2? Uh, Stephen Hopkins, who's oh. kind of an interesting director because he's kind of been all over the place. He, he directed that Lost in Space reboot in 1998, which is not considered good. Um, Race, uh, the Jesse Owens uh, biopic, a terrible Hillary Swank movie called The Reaping. Um, Nightmare well, on, a Nightmare on well, Elm Street 5 is what Okay, well, we've shot. run out of time, so I think we need to run through this really quickly. Oh. The basic story is it's set in... The film is shot in 1990, but it's set in 1997 in sort of like a dystopic Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Like, gangs have, like, 
overrun the city. We mainly focus on downtown LA and then San Pedro because it's kind of like the Colombians versus the Jamaicans. Uh-huh. And the Colombians are in um, San Pedro? No, the Jamaicans are in San Pedro. The Colombians are in downtown LA and the Jamaicans are in San Pedro. And they're like rival gang drug people. Um so that's what's happening in the backdrop. And then the Predators from the first mo- movie, there were three left. Or there there were three. One was killed. One self-destructed. Mm-hmm. And then the remaining one is now in this sequel. And it's doing what they like to do, which is like hunt for prey. They are attracted to, because you know, they see through heat, they're attracted to like anger zones. And chaos. Hot zones. Yeah, hot zones. Okay. So... Um, there's all this violence happening and Danny Glover, his character is a cop and he thinks that it's part of like this gang violence. But then Nick Nolte plays this like Gary Busey. Oh, Gary Busey plays this like federal agent, part of some organization. And he knows that there are aliens. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of not unlike our uh, movie Dreamcatchers, Morgan Freeman's character. Like he knows yeah. there are aliens, but no one else knows. So they're mm-hmm. trying to find, Gary Busey's character is trying to capture the alien to get their technology, and Danny Glover's character is trying to just eradicate the alien. Mm-hmm. He is successful, the end. But uh, Danny Glover's successful. But I was thinking that I have very strong memories of this film for two scenes. The one is there's a sex scene mm-hmm. with um, one of the Colombian drug dealers. Mm-hmm. And I remember a vivid memory of that as a younger person. Like, you know, I was probably like 14, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and then the there's a scene where the head of the Jamaicans confronts the Predator and gets his head cut off. Calvin Lockhart. And then there's a scene where the Predator is injured and he breaks into like a bathroom in some person's apartment and sort of like... Makes a meth in the... <laughs> yeah, like cooks up some meth to put on his wounds. So... I forgot how much I remembered of this movie. And overall, I think it's a decent film. It feels very 90s. It feels There's a lot of language and messaging that's, you know, obviously very dated. Um, Bill Paxton plays a character who's, um, he's annoying and he's he supposed annoying. to be. But he has a joke where he's like, yeah, man, I went to the doctor and the doctor wanted to, me to provide him with a semen, urine, and stool sample. And I said, hey, man, I'm in a hurry. Can I just give you my underwear? And I'm like, <laughs> and I thought that joke was funny and very much sort of the tone of that character, which was pointless. And then Maria Conchito Alonso. As Leona. Oh my gosh, she's a lot. She has nothing to do though. Nothing to do and just being and she's like pregnant. loud and aggressive. And then she's pregnant and I couldn't tell who she was pregnant by. Yeah. It like, was, <laughs> so this, you know, reading about the troubled production of this, you know, it was supposed to star Arnold, but the studio wanted the same exact budget as the first one cost and refused over $250,000 wouldn't sign him. And then it was supposed to be in New York, and then uh, was switched to LA for to keep to maintain that budget. But I think you can tell because there's that scene in uh, on public transportation that feels like a New York scene. It doesn't feel like LA at all. Yeah, right. Um, but I will say, Danny Glover, I think, did a great job. It's fine. This is after He's, the first Lethal Weapon. Yeah, he he really has a lot of screen presence. I think he does a lot with. Uh, a script that is kind it's, of it's cockadoodoo. It's not the worst, but like I mean, it's not a shit movie, but it's it, you know, it's not high quality. I, I think it's interesting to think that they is it prescient because 
this was a year before the L.A. race riots, and, oh, and L.A. would become a dystopia for a little bit. I, I did want to say, Danny Glover in this, he's like, what, 43 in the... 43 or 44. 44. And his body is amazing. But what I wanted to say is, it's so funny, because any other male lead actor with that body would make sure that... It's we, seen. We see it in every shot. Yeah. And Danny Glover is wearing pretty baggy clothes throughout the film. And we only see him without a shirt on once. And it's not even like... It's very subtle. He's in the dark and he's just changing. And so you kind of just get a quick glance of his body. And then a character makes a comment alluding to like how fit he is. Mm -hmm. Saying like, oh, even you couldn't carry this body up there. But I thought like... I actually really liked that because I thought maybe that was Danny Glover's choice. Like, uh, you're not going to have me out here topless. Well, because they compare him to Arnold. Right, but I but I, but I really like that because I think it really added some integrity to the performance, which Even, is weird because you do. I feel like you see him shirtless in Lethal Weapon because there are always those bathtub scenes with his family. I did want to point out there in the soundtrack. There's a song by Gerardo, the guy who did the Rico Suave song. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's interesting to hear about. Uh, apparently, the filming in uh, Los Angeles alleyways was. Uh, traumatic for cast and crew because people living in nearby buildings would throw feces at them and they found a, a body in the garbage according to IMDb trivia. Uh, There's more I wanted to say but we've run out of time. I, I, I did want to mention that the most frustrating part of the film is it feels long to me because at you know 15 minutes before the film ends Danny Glover uh, you know was able to catch up with the Predator and get him on a ledge and cut off his arm and the Predator falls and that could have been his death. But then the Predator survives, heals himself, and then they make their way to his ship, which is a good scene. But then the Predator gets an upper hand on Danny Glover once because he shoots it. And then instead of unloading the fucking gun on this alien to make sure it's dead, he shoots it a few times and then checks on it. And then, of course, it fucks him up. And then in the end, he kills the the Predator and then it's like, bitch, why don't you slice and dice his ass? Yeah. And the, and he doesn't. The, but then, you know, it turns out the Predator is actually dead. But that always drives me crazy. Well, the part where he takes out the mask and the it wakes up and call, says motherfucker to him. It's like, this, yeah. This is so oh, I, I wrote that down. That was dumb. And then he also calls it a pussy face, which mm-hmm. I thought was funny. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I mean, that's all I wanted to say, I guess. I, I I did think it was a decent sequel, and I do like Danny Glover, and I do have fond memories of this film, watching it as someone too young to watch a film like this. But um, I would probably give it like three out of five. Damn, two and well, a half for me. Well, because it feels very 90s. I, I appreciate the the look and vibe, but it's not. it's a heavily compromised movie for many reasons. Still, I would rather watch this again more than... Um, Predators from 2010 with Adrian Brody or Alien vs. Predator, either of those films which I've never seen. Oh, I've watched those more than once. I don't want to watch those. And um, which probably means you'll make it a secret movie one time. But and then uh, of course the 2018 reboot that was also, I thought, quite terrible by Shane Black, The Predator, um, with Boyd Holbrook and company. Well, you have 60 seconds left. I do want to give a shout out tonight uh, on Dancing with the Stars. It's Janet Jackson night. So all of the performances will be to Janet Jackson's music. And I think she might be making a video appearance because I saw on IG she posted a picture of herself. uh, And she flew in Preston from L.A. to London to do her makeup. So I'm assuming... She'll look snatched. Well, I know what she looks like because she posted the picture. But, oh, yeah, I saw that. But I'm assuming she did that because she might be on video saying something to the dancers. So I'm excited to hop on Hulu real quick and see what's up. But um, 
You have 45 seconds. Um, I will be doing several interviews this week that will be available sometime on Ion Cinema. I'm interviewing uh, Lars Nilsson for his publication Warped and Faded. I'm interviewing the Croatian and Estonian uh, directors of their official Oscars submissions, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and shout out to uh, the new album from Vitalik, Dissidents, which I've been jo- They have a song called Carbonized. I think it's the last track on the album. It is really, really good. Um, I really like Haute Definition, and I wanted to leave... Uh, uh, with this quote, in high definition, you fix your dark thoughts. You would like everything to be beautiful, but without a filter, everything is pale. They say it in French. Oh, well, I'm not pale. Toodaloo. Bye.